All Love right. It. So we have one of my favorite fitness experts, enthusiasts, just a real guy that's been doing this for, gosh, decades and decades. I don't even want to say his age until he comes out and says it because you guys wouldn't believe it anyway. The guy could take his shirt off and you'd be like, ah, you're lying to me. That's not your age. But anyway, we have author, filmmaker, and just an incredible human. We have Vinny Tortoric on the show today. Thank you for being here. I hope everybody goes out and watches the new documentary, Beyond Impossible, and the other two, Fat, a documentary, part one and two. And uh, tell us where people can reach out to you. Where can they uh, do your stuff, get your programs, all of that good stuff? How do people find you? Uh, I have no programs you can buy. I have a free program you can get by going to uh, my website, vinnytortoris.com. Um, you can get a, I have a free PDF there. Uh, I've had people lose um, hundreds of thousands, if not millions of pounds by doing that, because I put it up after my book came out. I wrote a 26-page PDF because I've, I felt like I should have given people more information in the book, and it's been downloaded over 300,000 times. And I see people on Twitter going, hey, I've lost 100, I've lost 200. One guy's lost 300. Uh, I guess he's the best that has reached out to me. Um, but... I have that. You can get that for free. My book is called Fitness Confidential. It's been out for 10 years. It was a bestseller. It still sells, um, which I'm happy about. Um, and, and then on and on and on. You, you'll find out everything I do at VinnyTotters.com. For those that may not be as familiar with, you know, where does Vinny come from? Has he always been this guy with the six pack and been, you know, super fit? Like, how did that all start for you? Like, when did fitness become a thing? And, and just a little bit about your journey. Just let us know. Yeah, you know, I, I actually wrote a, a book about this, and the book became like a big deal. Um, did you read the book, by the way? Do, do you know the story or do you not know the story? I, that, I, haven't, I actually haven't read that one. I, I've been following yeah. you, but I have not. I'll be honest. No, don't, don't be embarrassed. Um, uh, the book um, chronicles my life. I, I was... Um, I had problems when I was a kid and not any kind of, I mean, kids today have real problems. I had fake problems, but um, I, I had a speech impediment came, that came out of the fact that I was deaf for a portion of my childhood. So I, my speech didn't develop and I was getting beat up on in school and, you know, just, and I went to a private Catholic school and the nuns actually took part in, in goofing on me and, uh, I, you know, I think about it today and it's like, God, I would own that school today if that happened. You know, it's like uh, nothing like that happens today. And I just kept getting in trouble. You know, I wasn't a troublemaker, but I kept getting in trouble because I would fight back. You know, when kids would goof on me and, you know, you know, give me a wedgie or whatever, I'd turn <laughs> on and fight back. And, so I was the common denominator in all the fights. <laughs> so you become the, the bad kid, right? And there was this guy in my hometown. I grew up in the smallest town ever in southern Louisiana. And this guy, he was, my, my, my family's Italian. This other guy, he's Italian. He's a family friend. And he's built, he's built like Jack LaLanne, actually better than Jack LaLanne. Wow. more muscle, more everything. And he took me under his wing and said, you know, come to the gym every day. 
And he never allowed anyone to work. He had a private gym, kind of like what I have behind me. And um, he, he said, just come in my gym and I'll, you know. And he was the first person in my life that didn't goof on me. You know, he didn't goof on my voice, my weird speech impediment. And so he became like another father to me. And um, you, you start seeing the gym as, oh, my God, it's today the kids call it safe spaces. <laughs> kind of thing. But I had after school, I had this safe space, right? There's, there's kind of, it was like nirvana. I can go to this place. And with this guy, and there was a couple of other older guys there. When I think about it now, they were like 19 or 20, but to me, they were really the old. The older guys. <laughs> yeah, and they were all pumped up, and I would look at them, and they would help me with everything and show me the correct way to do everything. I was kind of like the little mascot of this garage gym. And um, long story, even longer, uh, I got to, like, when I was like 12 or 13, it turns out that, I got very physical, you know, a lot of testosterone in a young man and you get physical and what have you. And I tried out for the football team and became like an instant success. You know, I was able to beat up on kids older than me and do the whole thing. <laughs> and that led to me coming out of my shell. If, if that makes any sense. Yeah. 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 So that, that's the, the condensed version of, why is my phone talking to me? Oh. So as a football player, you, you took that quite a ways, right? Didn't you play uh, for many years? And I think you were a linebacker, if I'm not mistaken. Fill me in on that part. Oh, yeah, you do know a little bit about my life. <laughs> I played through college. I got a college scholarship. I played D1 ball, linebacker. And, um, you know, again, it was the physical that was carrying me through. And... I made really good grades in school. Although if you would ask anyone in my high school, they go, Oh, he was a football player. He was a dummy <laughs> because that's what they called football players in the late seventies, right? Going into yeah. the eighties. And I got to college and they said, well, what do you want to take? What, what do you want to do? And I said, well, my parents are school teachers. I might as well be a school teacher. <laughs> and I noticed you can just start taking any classes you want. Right. And it was like, oh, kinesiology. Ooh, look at that. Biology. Oh, what's that? Anatomy? Because as a kid, I would read the Encyclopedia Britannica from cover to cover. I know that's weird nowadays. But I was, <laughs> nowadays, sure. But I'm with you. We had that. That was our first like official collection of books. So I, I was right there with you. We'd go cover to cover. <laughs> you get it, right? It's like... We didn't have Google or we didn't like the encyclopedia is inside of this now, inside yeah. of a phone. Yeah, yeah. But when I was a kid, it's like, wait, what? I could just open that and it, you just start reading, right? And um, it really taught me how to read well and um, <clears throat> just on and on and on. But I was grabbing knowledge. And when you go to college, it's like, to me, it was like the encyclopedia. But there was like a guy teaching it and I just got, I just absorbed everything I could. And, and it turns out, even though I thought I wanted to be a school teacher, I was basically in pre-med. I wasn't even, I wasn't even looking at what my major would be. And I, I found myself in gross anatomy my sophomore <laughs> year. 
And they're like, well, what are you doing in gross anatomy? I'm like, I don't know. Just sounded good to me. I get to cut up on a cadaver. Bring it on. Let's do this. Bring it on. And uh, yeah, it just kind of went from there, you know? That's incredible. Was there a a specific, I mean, it sounds like you got into the sort of body transformation and fitness in high school, played football, went to college, then got kind of the science behind how you do all that, right? The kinesiology, which is the science of movement. Most people who get into, you know, training people and things like that. My wife, actually, many people don't know this, but she has a kinesiology degree. And then she got a second bachelor's later on. And and so I tell people, she's a smart one. She's got two bachelor's degrees. I got one. Yeah, I got my doctorate, you know, in medicine, but I, I got one, you know, college degree. And you and I took a lot of the same courses. Like you said, you're on that kind of pre-med track. What got you excited about doing the sort of fitness? And was there some, sounds like, you know, being a kid and having that transformation in yourself, but was there some point in college where you decided, Hey, I might want to kind of do this thing or how did that, how did that uh, turn out? That, you know, that started back with Joe Bonadonna too, the guy that took me into his home. Um, By the time I was 15 or so, other people started going to Joe saying, Hey, would you do to my kid? What you did to that kid? And because I was very physical looking, think um, when I was 15, think Rambo, you know, I was built like that. (laughs) you know, just ripped out. And, um, but I I had the genetics for it. I didn't really understand genetics at that point. I just assumed if anybody went in and did what I did, they would look the same at that age. And Joe said, I can't, it's a garage. I don't have insurance, his family, his friends and the whole thing. So we, Joe and I, we were like best buddies at this point. And we, you know, I started going, Hey, what if we do a gym? Because at that time, Joe was taking me to Baton Rouge and, um, and doing ex, uh, exhibitions. You know, it's like, Hey, I got this 13 year old kid that can bench press 220 pounds. This guy, people was like, no way. And he <laughs> would have to show my birth certificate. It's like, there's no way this kid could do this. So I was going to gym. So I saw what real gyms and this is before the days of big box gyms. They used to be named after the guy who owned the gym, you know, like Larry's gym, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so, um, you know, I'm a kid who picks up everything. So I said, Joe, what if we moved all of your stuff into a building and start a gym, and then you can charge people like they do in Baton Rouge? And it started off as just kind of a, hmm, you know, out of the mouth of the babes, you know, and the whole thing. And he was like, oh, I would need so much more equipment and the whole thing. And I was like, yeah, but Joe, I had a couple of pieces of equipment made because in Louisiana, it's a lot of oil. So there's a lot of pipe fitters that can weld anything. And I would go to my parents, friends and say, hey, can you weld this for me? And they were they were making stuff for me that I now had at my home. So I said, Joe, whatever we don't have, we can get someone to make it, give them a free membership. That's literally how we started that health club. Wow, that's and amazing. Then, um, yeah, and that health club is still there. Joe died um, a long time ago. Um, he passed away, and um, the gym is still there. It's a rickety old gym, and people can still go there and work out. Yeah. Wow. It's kind of so cool. How, how did you? Yeah. How did you go from that to being the 
the author, the filmmaker. Uh, you got your your hat on of the. I think that was the original documentary, Fat. I know you got a yeah. new one now, but but tell us how you got into that in the documentary filmmaking uh, side of things, and tell us about uh, Fat. Well, you know, yeah. Well, the documentary stuff, you know, kind of like me telling at sixteen, telling a guy, "Hey, we can do this." I've always been, "Hey, why can't I do this?" Type of guy, and. You know, now people call me a documentarian and I'm like, <laughs> well, nah, that title doesn't fit. I don't I'm not a movie maker. I'm not a producer or whatever. So what happened was <clears throat> um, every time one of these vegan propaganda films came out, like uh, What the Health or Forks Over Knives or, Game you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Everybody would say, hey, Vinny, you know, that's BS. That's a lie. Why don't you tell a lie in the opposite <laughs> direction? And I would always say, well, what good would that do? And they said, well, they're lying. You should say it in the opposite. And I said, what if I just tell the truth? Sometimes the truth is stranger than fiction. So I went out to try to do a movie. And I finally found someone that was going to give me money because to do a documentary, it's like a half a million dollars is what I was told. So someone finally said, yeah, we'll give it to you. Total autonomy and the whole thing. And I was so happy. And then they started, even before they gave me the money, it's like, hey, we want you to include this, that, and the other thing. <laughs> and I said, well, what happened to the autonomy? That's, you know, I thought I, I would get to do what I wanted to do. And they said, no, you have to do these things. It's our money. And I said, I'm sorry, but thanks for the money, but no thanks. And stuck to my guns. I, I gave up a lot of money. And at that time, this kid, Peter Pardini, who had just done the movie about the band Chicago, and they got all kinds of accolades. I ran into him through the Adam Carolla show. And he was a big fan. He lost a lot of weight following my no sugars, no grains approach. And he said, Hey, you should do a documentary. And I said, Peter, I don't want to hear it. Because anyone who gives me the money is going to want to, you know, say so. And he said, What if you got the money? I said, But I, I don't have a half a million dollars to put into a movie. He said, What if just what if you crowdfunded it? And I said, who would give me a dime? And he goes, you have a big audience. They'll give you the money. So I thought it was going to not work. We were literally asking for $150,000. Peter told me that he would do all of his work for free. We would call in favors for editing and, and color correction and sound correction. We had all these favors we were going to call in. We were going to do a half a million dollar movie for 150000 so we did a crowdfunding because I knew there was no way we would even get to 50000 right? And then I could just walk away. Uh. <laughs> As it turns out, we got to almost a half of, I'm sorry, a quarter of a million dollars on crowdfunding. And um, I still had to put some of my own money in to, to finish it. But we got a quarter of a million dollars to do this fatter documentary. And we put it out. It became this mega hit movie, like beyond anything I could have ever imagined. Um, it even 
remember the movie Free Solo that was like tearing it up? Oh, yeah. We, yeah, we knocked him off of that perch for about five weeks. And uh, he got best documentary of the year. And uh, we passed him up for a long time. Um, we're the number one documentary that um, uh, Gravitas Ventures has ever put out. It's got all kinds of accolades. Um, so the hat I have on was one of the perks, right? If you gave us $250, you got the stupid hat. <laughs> right but there was only like 100 or 200 of these or something this is one of like 200 i kept one for myself wow yeah and um and you asked me before the show you said why don't you have a beyond impossible hat yeah and the thing people i don't think people realize this but i'm playing with house money so when the movie made all that money i had a bunch of money and I didn't feel like it was mine because everyone else financed the movie. But I can't go to everyone and go, hey, Larry, uh, here's 75 bucks on the $50 investment. You know, <laughs> thanks. Yeah, yeah. I couldn't. I, you can't give people their money back. But I didn't feel like it was my money. So I did Fatter Documentary 2 during the pandemic, thinking, okay, now I've wasted the money. <laughs> but then the money came back again. <laughs> So now I'm sitting on Fatter Documentary 2 money, which I don't feel is mine, because I actually started feeling like it was mine at that point, because I went, okay, I've done two documentaries, I've put a lot of work out there, this is now my money. And then I did Beyond Impossible. So that one's out there now. But the only hat I ever made was on the first movie, to make money. Uh, it was a money-making oh, venture. <laughs> <laughs> hey but you still got one of the original 200 or so hats That's awesome. this is this is the only one people always go hey come on man can you sell me one now and it's like you can have the sweaty one that i've been wearing <laughs> you know this is it this is all i have yeah so you, you you're probably like me when you grew up i know for me i feared fat right i feared anything that was saturated fat, anything that came from an animal. I feel, I feared eggs because we lived in that thing, right? The whole conundrum that you talk about in, in the movies, right? With Ansel Keys and all this misinformation and how that got spread and how we got indoctrinated. And I think thankfully that's coming around because of guys like you that are putting out what actually happened. <laughs> and we don't have to fear that anymore, especially the natural fat. We should fear the processed seed oils, right? We should fear those, those artificial man-made fats that are going to get us super inflamed and cause heart disease and cancer and all these things. But why in your, I mean, I want to hear it from you. In your opinion, why still do we have such a preponderance of these fake fats, right? All the seed oils, soybean oil, probably the biggest, right? It's in almost everything. Mm -hmm. Why is that still such a thing when we know it's not healthy? Money. It, it just comes money. down. All yeah. the money. But let, let me ask you this. Um, how, how old are you? I'm turning 50 next year. So I'm a little yeah. bit behind you. But right, So yeah. you're 10 years behind me. So, yeah. you know, growing up with, you know, basically peasants from Italy, they, they fed us meat all the time. You have to eat meat. You have to eat meat. You have to eat meat. <clears throat> and meat was considered healthy. You got to get your meat. Yeah. Right? You got to eat your dairy, eat your meat. And uh, 
when I was a kid, uh, you know, you can hear in, in, in um, the wall, you know, at the end of, you know, the song in the wall, if you can't, how can you have any pudding? You can't have any pudding if you don't eat your meat, right? It was always eat your meat growing up for us. Yeah. You're 10 years behind me. Yeah. Yeah, it was different than the next You decade. guys got, yeah, you guys got it. Just, you know, by the time you came around, they're telling you snack wells. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. For me, it was eat your meat. And then when they went down the saturated fat thing, they kept saying at the beginning, fat is still, you need it. It's a macronutrient. You just don't have the saturated fat, have the monounsaturated and the polyunsaturated so I can't lie. I went down that road. You know, I went down the, well, I better get it from olive oil. I better get it from corn oil. I better get it from, you know, margarine. I, you know, I, I went down that road like everyone else, you know, but I never gave up the fat because whenever I would try to go low fat, because I'm in tune, I'm in tune with my body. I go low fat. I, I would just be miserable. I was hungry all the time. I was like looking, searching, what else can I eat? You know, <laughs> as soon as you take fat out of your diet, you, 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 your body starts, you, you're on a tightrope and there is no net, right? So I had a problem with cutting fat out. I did cut out saturated fat for a long time. And, um, Except for, you know, bacon. Oh, I'm being bad today. Bacon. And I would have my red meat. I didn't care about red meat. But, you know, I, 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 let me be honest there. I quit eating New York strips and ribeyes. I started having more fillets because fillets uh, have less fat, less saturated fat, more protein, right? So, you know, for a lot of years, I kept eating fat, but I went down that road. And I'm not proud of it, but I did. You know, um, but I was always telling my clients, you have to eat fat, you have to eat protein, you got to get off of carbs. And I, I brought that from the Italian background, because my grandmother knew you eat too much pasta, you get, you get a ponza, you get fat, right? You get a ponza, you don't want a ponza, you know, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. and then when I got to college, they were talking about, oh, carbs, carbs will blow you up, right? Unless somehow you're a runner or an athlete, then you need your carbs because you got a carb load. So there were these mixed messages all the way around. I've told this story a thousand times on my podcast, but it bears repeating here. Um, I was in the lab at uh, Tulane, and um, we we had uh, one of our track stars um, in zone four, like 20 minutes. And we, you know, we're doing blood tests and we're doing all the stuff. You know, it looked like a Gatorade commercial. We had all the stuff on the guy. We had him all hooked up. And and um, when we took a lunch break, I was sitting outside eating a a, a subway with with a, subway sandwiches. Didn't exist. it was called a sub back then? Yeah. So um, I'm eating a sandwich next to my friend Linda, who was doing it with me. And uh, when we were done. Um, eating, she pulled out a little bag. It's almost like a postage stamp size now of M&Ms. Do you remember M&Ms when they came like in the little 
the tiny, yeah, the tiny bag. Yeah, yeah. That was it. You can't right? get those anymore unless it's like a Halloween thing or something. Or, yeah. That's exactly what you'll see it on Halloween, right? So because everything is super size, king size, yeah. double size, triple size. So she she poured a few out in her hand and she handed me the bag, meaning here you have the rest. So I pour them in my hand and I'm I'm popping them in my mouth, and I flip the bag over, and I went ha. Huh. And she goes, oh, boy, because whenever I go, huh, everybody goes, here we go. And she goes, what's wrong? And I said, I'm just reading here that this small bag right here was like 172 calories. Or some, I'm, I'm making up there. It might have been 160. Yeah. Or yeah. And she goes, yeah, so. I said, so, so, so everything. She goes, what are you talking about? I said, we just had a well-trained athlete on a treadmill at anaerobic capacity for 20 minutes. We both know that because we saw what was in his blood. She goes, yeah. She goes, so what? I said, so everything. He didn't burn 200 calories in that 20 minutes. So... Right one tiny here. little bag. One little bag. I said, this negates what that guy did. That guy basically almost passed out and threw up when he was done. He's a well-trained athlete. What are we saying about people who are doing calorie in, calorie out, trying to lose weight? She goes, I don't know. It's just the way it works. I said, come on. We're sitting here oh. looking at it not work. We're sitting here with a bag of M&Ms, by God. You know, we know this doesn't work. Right. Yeah. But that was, you yeah. know, I, I, I started taking clues from that when I was 18, 19 years old, looking at a bag and looking at an athlete dropping dead on a treadmill. I mean, it doesn't take long to start doing a math that it, it's not about calorie in, calorie out. So when you have that theme going on in your head and then you end up in the fitness weight loss industry and you're one of the top guys that became one of my my dirty little secrets, you know, to make money before the internet. <laughs> no, you're you you were ahead of the ahead of the times, and I, I appreciate that so much because I think we've got this message out there, right? The calories in, calories out. The eat less, exercise more. The my favorite shirt, and I don't think I've shared this with you, but it was a guy. Well, it's actually a raccoon who's powerlifting. Got you know like five plates on each side. And the bar's bending, he's lifting up, and, and it says on the thing, I work out so I can eat garbage. Like, what a terrible thing to use as your mantra. That is so off, and you perfectly described it in this case of the runner who was literally at maximum, zone four, for those that don't know, that's like, like, like you just said, he's about to pass out. Like, he is, <laughs> talk about a sprint, pretty much. I mean, he's like... Yeah full on, like just doing the best that he can. His VO2 max is just through the roof. And yet in 20 minutes, he doesn't even burn enough calories to eat one tiny little bag of this, you know, the Halloween candy of M&Ms. Like what the, what are we doing? Like something is, <laughs> something yeah, one, is one not right. That, one of the things that's locked more people into listening to me is the number of people who have gotten off trained for marathons, you know, like, I've trained people to you know, 18, 19, 21 weeks to be in a marathon. And they'll toe the line heavier than when they started training. 
Because the first thing people do when they decide to run a marathon is they start buying Runner's World. And every page in Runner's World is going, hey, Gatorade, shot blocks, cliff uh, bars, power bar. Yeah. yeah, you need all this stuff. They're, hey, eat like a kid at a birthday party and you'll be good. And, you know, carb up. You need to carb up, you know. And I've seen the same thing happen to people with triathlon. They, their best intention is... I'm going to do this and I'm going to look lean like the guy winning the race. What they forget is just like me with Joe Bonadonna, genetic freak, right? You're not going to look like that guy. You know, if you want to lose weight, if you're doing this to lose weight, let me help you out. You can stop doing that. You can lose all the way. I've had people in wheelchairs lose a hundred pounds. They're not exercising a whole lot, right? It has nothing to do with exercise. It has everything to do with the diet. Yeah. You know, Gary Powell. Go on. I'm, I'm sorry. No, go go ahead. I was just going to say, I always tell people you can't outrun the tip of your fork. I mean, the food that you put in you is everything. I mean, that's the starting point. Exercise is great. I love it. You love it. But you can't outrun the tip of your fork. It's just, you, you can't. It's, and so people ask me, well, why, why should I exercise? And I go, oh, wait, b because it is the fountain of youth. Mm -hmm. But don't confuse that with weight loss. You know, it's two different things, right? You're trying to compare a bicycle to a motorcycle. They both have the word bike in it, right? <laughs> they both have the word cycle in it, but they're two different things. One is not the other, you know? Um, so yeah, you know, Gary explains it in his book, you know, there's people walking down the street, you know, I see it all the time now, I'll see, you know, young people um, walking on the street, and they're eating a bag of chips, or they got like a big gulp or something like that. Uh. And you sit there and you want to you want to go slap it out of their hands, but <laughs> their brain thinks they're starving. Right? You know, they have all of this excess weight on their body. They have type 2 diabetes, they have fatty liver disease, they have sleep apnea, they have a host of problems, yet their brain thinks they're starving. Why is that? Well, the ghrelin, leptin, uh, um, cortisol, and um, insulin, everything is, is conspiring against them because they don't have their house straight. That's the problem. Right? No, it's, uh, it's, it's what I tell people is it's science. It's physiology. It's not that they're being weak and craving these things. It's that's that's the way that physiology happens. And there's a reason that carbs are so dang addictive, right? They've done lots of studies and compared sugar to things like cocaine, and they're like equally addictive. In fact, sugar may be more addictive, you know. And you just can't make this stuff up. Like you said, the truth is often more interesting than than fiction. You know, you just can't make this stuff up. And I, I would love, I, I love how you relate. You, you mentioned on the M&M that you were looking at the label and you and I know this, but I, I don't think that a lot of people understand how much sort of non-factual or deceitful stuff ends up on a label. Tell, tell us about that a little bit. What, what, do you, what do you think when you, when you have people that are so clued into those dang nutrition facts? I, I, I don't think they can even call them facts, but I want to hear how you kind of and well, I, um, talk about the label. I'll tell you that, but first I want to go back to something you said a second ago. So I'm going to answer both questions. I'm talented that way. Um, so 
your audience is going to go, what's wrong with this guy? Um, so um, you mentioned sugar being more addictive than cocaine. I, I was doing, um, I'm going to name drop here. I'm good friends with uh, Dr. Drew Pensky. And um, I was saying this to Drew on his podcast. And um, he said, well, you know, because we're friends, so he can, he can tell me I'm wrong a lot. Um, he said, well, it's not exactly the same. I mean, cocaine does have, it does light your brain up a little differently and it's a little more complex than that. And I said, yeah, but Drew, we're not giving cocaine to kids at a birthday party. <laughs> and he thought about that for a second. Thank he goodness. goes, I guess that would make it more powerful. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> you know, we treat one as, hey, kids, come on over. Have all of this cocaine you want. Can you imagine if you did that? Right? But, you know, we could do that with sugar. Now to answer your second question. Um, what was the second question? About the labels, about the labels. Oh, yeah, the, the, the fact. facts nonsense. <laughs> okay, folks, here's the deal. When you turn over any package, number one, if you're turning over a package, you've already made a mistake. Yeah, yeah. So, first first. yeah, you know, you know, if you buy meat, it says meat. If you look at the ingredients, it's going to say eat. If you buy, a, you buy broccoli, it's going to say broccoli. <laughs> That's it. One ingredient foods. Um, the only thing I buy with multi-ingredients is something like, um, uh, uh, you know, like a, 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 a powdered seasoning, like a barbecue seasoning and the whole thing. And I'll just check, make, make sure there's no sugar in it, right? But there might be paprika and cayenne and, you know, coriander and five other things. That's the only multi-ingredient thing I have in my house. Um, everything uh -huh. else, single ingredient. Egg. It says egg. That's it. Yeah. Right? So, um, Remember this, and if you remember this, everything else works out. If you have to turn it over and read the package, you've already screwed up. But if you're reading nutrition facts, where it says nutrition facts, that can all be a lie. Just 100%. <laughs> Dr. Thomas is over there going, oh, yeah, that's all a lie. So if it says facts, it's a lie. The only place where the FDA, the government, makes them tell the truth is next to it. It's always to the right of it. And what it's going to say is ingredients. And by law, they have to mark down exactly how it appears in the ingredients. Now, they do get to fudge over there, too. And here's natural how. Flavors. Yeah, natural flavors, you know, you can hide sugar in the natural flavors, but more so than that, if you have 2% or less of anything, you can call it zero because they give them a plus or minus of two to make a mistake, right? So uh, let's say you want to put 10% sugar in the product, but you, you want to put on the front of the product, oh, this is keto-friendly, there's no sugar in it. So now they need to hide sugar in ingredients, right? So it'll say, you know, you'll see first ingredient might be water, second ingredient might be this, that. And then you'll see um, something like um, monk fruit, and it'll say 2%. And then you'll see um, uh, lemon juice extract, 2%. That, th these are all terms for sugar, right? 
So it's all 2% or less. So they found five different sugars that they could put in to keep it below having to market, yet they could keep staying zero sugar, even though you have 10% of the product is sugar. So they've learned how to lie on both sides of the aisle. 20 years ago, they, they didn't do that. Now they're doing it. Um, but when it says facts, that's fiction. And when it says <laughs> ingredients, if you learn how to read it, you can get the truth. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I, I love the first point is that if you have to flip it over and read what's in it, like you're probably already off track. You got to eat the single yeah. food ingredient. And, and I'm with you. There's a couple of things, you know, the spices and things like that, that you can, um, you know, get multi-ingredient things. I, I tell people, you know, if you have to buy things with ingredient, try to keep it to five or less and make sure you know what they all are. If it sounds yeah. like it's a, something in a chemistry lab, it's probably not for you. And if it says anything with all the seed oils, you know, there's seven or eight of them, soybean oil, canola, corn oil, safflower, sunflower, rice bran, all these, drop it. Like what I hate more than anything is when they say on the front, and you can attest to this, you've gone through this many times, it says, for example, olive oil dressing. Mm -hmm. And the first, second, and third ingredients are other seed oils. And then the third or fourth is olive oil. So it's a, it's like you said, it's a flat out lie. It's just, yeah. you gotta, if you're going to, if you're going to look at that stuff, you got to look at the ingredients because they're so dang deceptive. It's so frustrating. You can't yeah, trust it. Actually, it, it gets worse than that. You know, there is, um, you know, they're allowed in this country to cut olive oil up to 40% and still call it 100% olive oil. Yeah. Wow. You can say this is 100% cold pressed virgin olive oil. And it could be cut 40%. When you cut an oil 40%, you now have to add a color and a perfume to make it smell and, to, and look like olive oil. Um, and if you're saying to me, well, Vinny, how do I find the real stuff? Yeah. Um, uh, UC Davis puts out the oil study like every two or three years. Go look at that. And what you'll notice is some oils where you might think, oh, no, I bought this snooty, hoity toity stuff at the wine and cheese shop. That might be the worst oil. You might find something at Costco. So you got to go read that to figure out what the truth is. Um, the other thing that I was going to say, um, things like, um, a, I'm going to take pork rinds because uh, I had some earlier today. Even in, in the world of pork rinds, they're lies, right? So um, I have no association with this brand whatsoever, but I was eating Epic pork rinds today. And the only ingredient in there was, you know, the skin from a pig, salt and pepper. That was it. It was three ingredients, right? And two of them were spices. Um, so that's a good product. Now, and I hate, I hate to say this, but this is just a fact. Epic pork rinds for a small bag is like $4 or $4.50. It's, it's, absorbing it. Like I don't eat them all the time. I was feeling rich today and I ate one of those. Um, <laughs> but if you walk into, um, let's say you're getting gas, right? At, at a station and you walk into the mini mart, good luck. If you see, Oh, Vinny said pork rinds are good. And the pork rinds are like a dollar 79. Read it. Those are usually cooked in seed oils of, of all things. They, this is a product you could cook in its own fat. 
and they will go out of their way to make it bad for you. And sometimes there's sugar in there. If it says barbecue, blah, 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 blah. Uh. It's got sugar and other crap in it. So you have again, you have to advocate for yourself. Even though Vinny said, Oh, wait, he was he was talking to Dr. Hemingway. By the way, the coolest last name in the world. Uh, <laughs> uh. I might change my name to Hemingway. Uh. Um, so uh, but but the fact of the matter is, you, you know, you go, oh, you know, Dr. Hemingway, Vinny, we're talking about it. he's good you still have to watch because yeah. even the good stuff is bad you know you have to be on top of it and when you think of about a gas station folks the gas at a gas station is the lost leader right they're giving it away they're they're breaking even on gas they're hoping you walk in and if you notice they're not being casual about it they now have tele television as soon as you start yeah, pumping yeah. It's like, hey, hey, you over there pumping the gas? Hey, feeling hungry? Think you might be a little thirsty? Come on in. We got you covered. We got all kinds of stuff in there. You, look, 10 years ago, you couldn't even walk into you know, a filling station. Hey, you got a bathroom? Yeah, yeah, outside around the corner. And they would hand you like a big giant thing going around the corner. They're all inside now. And they're all wide open to the public. Why? They need you walking up and down those aisles. They have it. If you look at the way it's positioned, they never have those bathrooms by the front door. They're always in the back corner and you have to walk down aisles to do it. Folks, they're not making it easy for you at all. At all. This is all by design. This is not an accident. Okay. Yeah. And and what you're saying it has been true for decades. My, my stepdad, he and his parents, they had a family business of gas stations and they told that same story that if you're lucky, you break even, you know, with the gas and then you got to get them in to buy the stuff, whatever it is, their big gulp, their, you know, pack of crappy, you know, quality chips and whatever it is, you know, all of that stuff. It's just, it's, it's so simple, right? Follow the money. You got to, it's a business. That's what I tell people when they're trying to decide what they're going to eat and they're looking at all these flashy labels and they're looking at one that says organic and one that says non-GMO. It's like, that's great, but that's publicity. You have to look at what's actually in it. Just because it says organic or plant-based or GMO, whatever, non-GMO, you got to still read the dang label. You can't just take that trust that you want to have, like, oh, this is probably good for me. It's probably not. <laughs> it's Do the you one ingredient, like you said, the single ingredient stuff. Yeah. yeah. Um, let me ask you this, uh, Thomas. Um, do you know which governing body governs the term keto and vegan? over in Washington? I'm not sure that I do. Tell us. None. None. <laughs> when it says vegan certified, keto certified, mm. you can sell a bowl of sugar and put keto certified on it. <laughs> it you, you know, certified keto. Who, who's certifying it? No one. There's no government agency. Vegan, you put vegan on anything. You put it, you stamp it on a piece of meat. Vegan. <laughs> certified vegan meat. There is no oversight committee. These are throw words, right? GMO, non-GMO, right? The, well, actually, I'm sorry. Those do have a government agency behind them, but they get to lie. Yeah. They do. I looked into, I was getting ready to write another book, and I, I wrote like 180,000-word tome, and I just never put it out because I didn't like it. The problem is when your first book is a hit, 
everything else is like, you know, now <laughs> you, you're coming from a win and you don't want to lose. So um, I never put it out, but I did, I, I did a deep dive on organic and, um, you know, this kind of thing. It's so easy to get an organic label on anything. It doesn't mean anything. Um, if you, if you're doing, um, vegetables or fruit and you, first off, in order to keep bugs off of it, you have to put what they're calling natural, which is not, it's killing animals, it's killing bugs. You have to put literally, in some cases, five and 10 times as much. And if it still doesn't kill the, what it is, now you could come back with the stuff from Ortho or um, Monsanto and kill it yeah. that way and still call it organic. Usually this stuff is worse than the other stuff. Oh, but there's no, there's really no government oversight. You know, it's so easy to get that that moniker. Yeah. It's crazy, right? Yeah, the best, the best is you know having your own or knowing the source of whether it be your butcher, your you know your cattle rancher, your you know whoever's got the vineyard or the or the vegetable garden. Like going to the actual, if you can do that, that's the best way, right? Then you know where it came from, you know the quality, you know that there were not any pesticides used and all that. Cause you're, you're right. The labels, they can be not only frankly confusing, but they can sneakily put it on there when it's just not that right. There's even percentages. You can have like 90% of your fields, you're spraying the crap out of them with all these Monsanto products. And then you have 10% and then you can call the whole thing organic. Like what the, yeah. doesn't make any sense, but it's, it's out there and guys like you are uncovering it and just, I, <laughs> I thank you for that. But at the end of the day, I always tell people, you know what? Do the best you can. Source the food as best as you can. And if you just stick to the real food that doesn't need a label, that you don't have to go through that multi-part ingredient list, you're going to be better off no matter what. No matter yeah. what. Just stick to a real food. You will always be better off. So tell us about no um, this. Your newest documentary, um, Beyond Impossible, tell us a little bit about that, how you got interested in even doing that. And, I, you know, just give us a little bit of that story. And, and uh, I, I hope people got and watch it. It's, it's incredible. Um, thank you. Um, I, I did not see the movie Game Changers because I knew what it was about. It was another vegan yeah. propaganda film. And I'm just so, I, I feel like I can write my own vegan propaganda film at this point. <laughs> so why watch him? But I was um, listening to the guy. He, my, my friend Adam Carolla had him on his show. And um, I was listening to the guy and he was making these outrageous claims, just these incredibly outrageous claims. So I started looking into some of the athletes that, were in the thing and they had the man they said this guy's a vegan and he's the man the strongest man in the world well you see what they don't realize is that <clears throat> i'm dr hemingway what they call a nerd and what nerds do is we keep up with stuff like the strongest man in the world competition been doing that since i was a kid and i'm looking at this guy going hmm he doesn't seem to be of the ilk, the size. You know, he looks like a very strong guy. He's got he's got the big strong man gut on him and the whole thing, but he looks like a mini-me version of a strong man. And I didn't recognize his name. You know, all of these guys come from Nordic 
you know, Iceland and Greenland and, you know, these kind of places and Norway and, and they're, they're big Viking looking dudes. Right. And they, they, <laughs> they take a lot of steroids and eat a lot of meat and they, you know, they're strong. Right. And uh, by the way, kids don't take steroids. I've never taken one in my <laughs> life. And I don't plan on. Um, but at any rate, I'm looking at this guy and I'm going, nah, there's no way. So I started looking into his records and being a strength and conditioning coach for a lot of years of my life, I'm sitting there going, wow, back when I played college football, I was as strong as this. As a matter of fact, any high school weightlifting champion can beat most of his lifts. Why are they calling him one of the strongest? So maybe I'm missing the competition. Well, he did something called a yoke carry, which is not even one of the things they do in the company. Uh, they do a version of the yoke carry, but not the way he did it. So I can't be disingenuous and say, but, um, but I'm looking at his yoke carry and I went, okay, again, a good high school senior can probably do that. And uh, then I figured out, he did win a competition. It was the strongest vegan competition in a small town in Texas. It was like a thousand person town. He was the strongest person in that town on that day that was a vegan, which I'm sitting there going, okay, what else did they get wrong? <laughs> so I looked up a couple of other athletes, you know, like um, this other girl. It's like, hey, she's an Olympic 400 meter champion. I went, oh, wow, well, this is good. She wasn't even on the podium. She wasn't even in fifth place or 10th. She was like 24th place. Now, I couldn't make it to the Olympics any way, shape, or form. But don't call this woman an Olympic champion when she didn't even make it to the rounds that make it onto television. Right? She's doing the ones that they show before they end up on television. Like they're saying, goodbye, you can go home now. Thank you for coming. It's kind of like when Jamaica sends a bobsled team to the winter games, you know, it's like they don't make it onto television. So I'm looking at all this stuff going. And then the whole beyond meat thing comes out and they're going better than meat, better than meat, better than meat, saving the environment. You got a little girl yelling, how dare you to grownups. And I'm watching all this, this, this theater happening, right? I'm going, what am I missing? You know, whenever whenever I start questioning my own sanity, as you've noticed, you know, with the M&Ms and anything else I've done in my life, I go, okay, what am I missing? These people are just lying whole cloth. Now they're saying that an engineered food is better than a real food. So the equivalent of an Oreo is better than eating real meat. So I just started looking into it. And Man, that's when the truth really gets stranger than fiction. I mean, most of the the products are made in China, and they have to be shipped here, which means it's got some go-go juice. You know, you need some Jet A <laughs> or you need some diesel or something to get it here. And then it goes into a factory here. It has to be all mixed up, more CO2 into the atmosphere, and you have a Franken food that's nowhere near meat. So that was the beginning. Um, I got in touch with people like Nina Teicholz, who's been in my movies before, Frederick Lacroix, 
Dr. Mittlerner, some of the, the biggest names on the planet in their field. You know, Tony Hampton, got, got all these guys together. All I had to do was write those guys an email, and they were like, when and where? Love to be in your mood, right? I also called Walter Willett, Harvard University, noted vegan. He couldn't give me the time of day. Uh, I got in touch with uh, Dr. Michael Greger, who's not even a real doctor. He's not a doctor. That's of, the, that's of the How Not to Die books, right? Yeah, he wrote all the How Not to Die books. He's the guy that said in one of those documentaries that when you eat an egg, it causes um, type 2 diabetes. And I think he says you get pus. No way, that might have been McDougal. I'm still trying to figure where all this pus yeah. is in my body because I eat 10 eggs a day. I'm exaggerating, probably eight a day. <laughs> I got pus somewhere in my body. We just got to figure <laughs> out where it is. You're a doctor. Where is this pus building? Oh, up? my gosh. I, I can't. You know, I found that book. Uh, my mom had it, and I, I, it's been a while since I looked at it, and I literally, I couldn't even, it was so painful to even, the distortion, the distortion of the supposed yeah facts were horrific. I just threw the thing in the garbage. It just, and I'm not afraid to be public about it. Like people sort of think that it's like one of the Bibles of nutrition and it's garbage. It's propaganda. And it's sad. Frankly, it's it, sad. it really is. And I asked all these guys to be in my movie. Um, Gregor said he was busy that day, although I didn't give him a date. Um, and uh, we, we asked uh, McDougal. McDougal started arguing with my, um, my assistant. She's just, she gets paid to be my assistant. What are you arguing with that woman for? You know, so I literally, I, you said you saw the movie. I put their rejection letters on. I said, look, I wanted to show both sides here. Honestly, I couldn't get anyone from that side, any of the, the powers that be, to show up. Mitt Lerner is a busy, busy man. He showed up. LaCroix, busy man. He showed up. Nina, busy woman, showed up. Tony Hampton, busy guy, showed up. They showed up. Couldn't get any of these other guys to show up. It's crazy. And the, the list is longer than what I put on the screen, by the way. Yeah. I just couldn't sit there and do a laundry list of every doctor that turned me down. So I just did some of the more popular ones. The rest of this episode with Vinny Tortoric is continuing now, and you won't want to miss it. Not any of it. In fact, I'll be asking him a few more questions about how to stay healthy when you're over 50. What, what are some of his favorite hacks? And hey, this is me, guys. I am 50 next year. We will talk about the simplest way to lose weight. We'll talk about simple exercises that you can do for huge results. We'll even talk about the most effective way to change your diet. And finally, we will talk about how you can decide once and for all how to eat healthy consistently and much, much more. So jump on into the rest of this episode that you will find in the Thrive community. Join me and many other like-minded individuals in this amazing community of health-minded folks pursuing optimal health. You will get live content with me. You'll get members-only content. You'll get Q&A sessions. You'll get much, much more as a part of the Thrive community. So join today. I can't wait to see you on the other side. The link is in the show notes. We'll be here. We can't wait to see you on the other side. And until then, a big aloha.